Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello and welcome back. My guest today is Janine Mushawar, a Stanford University graduate. Janine works as a certified professional life coach for parents of teenagers. She helps make parenting easier by teaching new communication strategies and a five-step communication process that stop the battles and create a calm, peaceful home. Parents learn how to teach their teens cooperation, responsibility, and critical life skills to empower them for success. In the process, they create the positive, meaningful relationship they've always imagined. One of her own sons was diagnosed with ADHD at a young age, and I'm excited to dive in and talk with Janine about how she and her family dealt with this diagnosis. Welcome, Janine. Thank you, and thanks for having me, Roman. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it is my pleasure. Uh, I've been waiting to do this interview. I know we had to move it one time, and I just like, oh my God, you have so much to share, especially for parents with children, in your case, teens, uh, also with ADHD or other, uh, right? Uh, disorders with disability, whatever we want to call it, right? And so we'll get into that. But I just want to start off by asking you a question that I often ask my experts and my guests, which is to you, what is ADHD? Oh, to me, um, I, you know, that would be based on my experience with a child who has it. Um, You know, I would say what I noticed at a young age is that he learned differently from other kids. And I would say when we got into the teen years, um, I attributed that to kind of what I observed as black and white thinking, um, having trouble taking responsibility, blaming others. I think of it as when I can see him things that he's really interested in, he can, you know, hyper focus on. And yet at the same time, that kind of hyper focus can turn into perseveration on maybe something that's not so great. So I guess I don't think of it as like a one label that I could describe in a sentence. It's more things I've seen that really work for him and things that maybe are more difficult to fit into, you know, our culture, today's culture and academic process. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about your son, Jack, right? Yes. That was uh, diagnosed at the age of seven. And so could you take our listeners back to, I'm always very interested in what that experience was like for you and how you took the diagnosis and just how it affected you and Jack and you and the family and so forth. Anything you'd care to share about sort of that, the moment of diagnosis? Sure. Yeah. He, so I have an older child. So, you know, who had gone through, it was a private school and had, you know, was two years ahead of him. So whether it's good or bad, you have some sort of baseline. And, you know, when Jack got into kindergarten and first grade, we were getting feedback from the teachers that 
you know, his, that things that he wasn't fitting into the norm of the class that, and initially it was suggested that we go see a speech pathologist. Um, that didn't really resonate with us, but by the time we, he got to second grade, I think observing him as a parent through kindergarten and first, it became apparent as a parent, a parent, um, it became apparent that there, there were things that he needed help with if he was going to stay at that school. So it was a private school that was authoritarian in nature mm-hmm. and you needed to be, um, you couldn't be a square peg in a round hole at that school. Yeah. And so I think in second grade, I actually approached the teacher and said, hey, you know, what are your thoughts here that's going on? Like, what are your observations? Um, and, uh, you know, that teacher happened to not really have much to say about it. So I think my husband and I were just left kind of just curious, like what's going on here and just wanting to be able to support him in the best way possible. And so we sought out, um, an ed, um, what was it? A psychoeducational evaluation and, and had him evaluated. So when we found out the diagnosis of, you know, he was diagnosed with ADD, not ADHD because he's not hyper, um, yeah, it was shocking. Um, I think we didn't, we didn't understand it. We didn't know what it was. You know, he's 24 now, so there wasn't as much information out about it. Um, but I think our gut reaction was just, okay, you're the expert. What do you suggest? How can we help him? And so for Jack, medication was suggested. And as we tried that, I guess, there were positives and negatives as kind of he traveled through the next couple of years of elementary school. You know, the, the positives were he seemed to be able to get his schoolwork done and attend better. The negatives were all the side effects from the medication. I mean, he seemed his personality, I felt kind of went flat. Um, and he stopped eating you know, diet became a huge issue. It really suppressed his appetite. Um, and then a couple of years later, he kind of fell off the growth chart. So there's a whole mixture of trying to balance how to support him in an academic environment and support him from a health perspective. So it was very challenging. Wow. Yeah, sounds like it. And I can totally relate to, especially, I just want to go back to one thing you said, which always baffles me, right? So the school, let's just call it the school, they suggested if he wants to do well or be accepted in the school, probably should be diagnosed and medicated, right? In in a way. Yeah, they don't say it that overtly. Of course. But and again, this was sort of the end of second grade. By the time fourth grade came around, it was um you know, we were getting, it was, they were being more vocal and more warnings. Like he needs to do this. He needs to do that. There became like a list of things that needed to be done and benchmarks he needed to hit in order to stay at that school. And I think, and I remember 
third and fourth grade, we kind of just went along with that and tried to, you know, thinking, well, you're the experts and we're trying to listen and follow your guidance. Um, In fifth grade was when I, as a parent, started getting really frustrated because, you know, academics ramped up. And what I was noticing is when you were talking to him verbally, he knew all the information. But when he went to take a written test, he froze and wasn't able to do that. And so I approached um, this specific teacher I'm thinking of, would you be open to giving him the test again orally? Because I'm confident he knows this information. And she said, no. (laughs) It's It's not how it's done. (laughs) That's not how it's done. So that's what I mean about authoritarian. Um, They just had very set ways and they weren't willing to be flexible to accommodate a different kind of learner. And so towards the end of fifth grade, seeing, gosh, what was going to happen for sixth, seventh and eighth, because the school was K through eight. I just thought this isn't a good fit for him. And we ended up finding another school that was similar to what you were sharing with me before we recorded, where um, there was no homework. There were grades given, but it was a much different environment where they were happy to be flexible and really meet the child where they were at academically. So if he needed to be sitting in the front to help focus, they would put him in the front row. If he needed an oral test versus a written test, they would accommodate that. Um, And that just became that that ended up making really sixth, seventh and eighth grade smooth smooth academically, smoother at home. Um, and there weren't so many, there wasn't tension or battles or conflict at that point. Yeah. It's hard. You know, I get it. Like we, we have a system in place currently, the education system, the majority of it, right. The public schooling or education system. And it is still refusing to change like the antiquated, even the things we learn, right. My 11 year old the other day was Uh, asking me questions around algebra and things. He's like, when am I ever going to use this dad? And, you know, I'm not going to lie to him. I said, probably never, but use it as a gym for your mind, your brain to kind of solve problems and logic and just use it as a, as that. But you're right. I mean, he was like, he literally told me, he said, dad, this is BS. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he used the full slang word. He's like, this yeah. is BS. And he's 11. Mm-hmm. And he's very smart. He's understands more of the math now than I, than I do. So my point here is that like, it's an antiquated system. And like you said earlier, we're trying to fit a, a, a square peg into a round hole and nobody wants to accommodate the hole to be square for this one square peg or a few square pegs that really want to fit in, but just are different, right? Different. They're just unique or they're themselves, right? Yes. And I, and I think it's hard for a parent to hear that, oh, your son is not normal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because even, even if that's not the words they use, that's what you hear. Yeah. And that probably was the words they used. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's the words I heard. Um, but I think I was also left feeling like, what what we were you know what was recommended that we do like how is that impacting his self confidence right as a parent that's a huge priority for most of us 
And, you know, so I just remember that thought was flooded in my mind with every choice and decision we were making um, was I didn't want to label him. I didn't want him. I didn't want him to feel labeled um, or to feel that anything was wrong with him just because he thinks differently and, um, and just, he learns differently. That's great. And thank you for bringing that up because you know, the label issue often comes up, especially with the the people that question our narrative of the podcast, always say like, what's wrong with labeling? It helped me to finally know what's wrong with me. The, the interesting thing is those are usually adults when you're yes. like 25 or 30. Okay, well, you probably handle it. Although I think most of them still don't quite have the, the, the groundedness and the self-confidence that that, you know, I think we can have as humans in themselves. But point, point being, as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old, you, you don't know, you, you don't go, oh, good, I'm glad I'm labeled. Now I know what's wrong with me. No, you go like, something's wrong with me. I'm not normal. I'm different and right. not in a good way. Exactly. Yes. I mean, for, as an adult, you know, you might feel relieved to be like, oh, this is why I've been struggling. But as a child, you just want to fit in. And so anything that makes you feel different or the fact that you have to get called out of class and go meet with the learning specialist, it's just, um, you know, one thing after another where you're getting messages that something's with you and that you're different and that you're not smart enough, you're not capable enough. And those are all the messages I think most parents don't want to send to their child. Exactly. And and I think the the worst of them all is that we give enough like context or information in even if the, the child's seven and the doctor, the psychologist is talking to you, the parents and the child's in the background or outside, they know that what we're talking about is like, like their brain, something is wrong with their system, right? Mm -hmm. So then you think you're broken, because yeah. if my brain's not really functioning well, I'm broken, I don't, I'm going to I'm going to be a broken kid. I'm going to be an outcast. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. at seven years old. Right. And then I'm curious how you, you said you really wanted to, it sounded like you wanted to shield him from that, like self-confidence damaging information. Right. How did you go about that? Like, I know it's not easy as a parent to always shield everything. Right. But how yeah. did, what, what did you do in order to preserve as much self-confidence or believe in his own self uh, with Jack? Yeah, God, that's a great question. You're making me rewind my memory here, which isn't good in the first place. But I do remember trying to think, how do you explain to a seven-year-old what ADD is? I mean, I remember having that thought. How do you explain to a seven-year-old that he's going to be taking medication when his older sister and younger brother are not? How do you explain that? And I remember like thinking, well, the way it was explained to me was there wasn't enough dopamine flowing to his frontal cortex so that he could focus. I mean, if I'm just like going to say it in one sentence, that was my takeaway. And so, you know, I tried to approach it with him as, you know, our bodies are all unique and they all have different strengths and weaknesses and your brain blood isn't flowing there the way it does for other kids and this medicine will help 
the blood flow there, right? So trying to, in my <laughs> with no skills, um, trying to explain it in a way that he could understand it, but not make it mean anything about who he is, how smart he is, how capable he is, you know, almost like I remember my husband and I had a lot of conversations of let's think about this like a child with diabetes, like you give him insulin because he's deficient and, you know, and this would be something similar, like we're aiding him with medication in a way to let that blood flow get to his frontal cortex. And again, I know we talked a little bit about this before we hopped on, but that was all my husband and I knew at the time, right? We didn't realize, oh, there might be different ways you can approach this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, I will just say it here, parents are, are not to blame for making choices based on the information that's available. I think it's more about the 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 lack of information that that's not out there right whoever is controlling that information that's to me really where not the shift the blame over there but to to really do the research and to really uh dig deeper and that's what we're doing with our movement and uh you know to me ultimately you as the parent in the end you choose you choose what you say you choose what you do uh then you're off on your journey and you learn and you adjust and it sounds like you guys really adjusted from Jack going through elementary, middle, and then uh, high school. And I'm just curious how he sort of traveled from high school to where he is now and, and how, what is he still struggling with? And, mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, then we can get into what you do, which is I'm excited to explore, but just maybe as a bridge, uh, um, how, how did those years go? Um, as I mentioned, for sixth, seventh, and eighth, we put him at a school that was more uh, able to connect to his learning style. And so that we had a, you know, academically that went really well in sixth, seventh, and eighth. And he felt really good about himself. Um, there weren't really any major problems going on. So things went pretty smooth. When he got to high school, we put him back into a private prep school that at the time we thought was the best choice for him. Um, but it was very, it was very academic. And once again, not super flexible with different learners. It was better than the elementary school situation. We thought like this would work, but I think what happened was there was so much emphasis on grades that you know, that like, if you didn't get an A at this school, like you were looked at as stupid. Right? Wow. So there were like as public assemblies that were everybody stand who has an, you know, a GPA of 3.5 or higher. And basically 80% of the student body, ninth through 12th would be standing. And then you'd have, you know, 15 or 20%, 10% that are left sitting. And that was Jack. And it just, I think that started contributing to his, to kind of um, his feelings of, I am, I'm not smart enough. I'm not as smart as these kids. I'm not capable enough. Um, now granted he didn't articulate that <laughs> in high school. Sure. That was my parental assessment of the situation. But what I did see was all of a sudden his, you know, behaviors started getting leaning into more and more risky behavior. And I noticed that, 
you know, socially, he was getting kind of pushed out of any of the main groups because he wasn't a star athlete. He, you know, wasn't the one who loved to be in the musicals and, you know, he wasn't getting A's. Now for my husband and I, we thought this school was a great education. So we were perfectly content with B's and C's. We're like, he's having, getting this great education. There was no problem from us that it wasn't ace, but it was the messaging going on at the school. And so once we hit 11th grade, he, you know, ended up making friends who I think also felt pushed out and they started smoking pot and it got more and more intense um, to the point of, you know, senior year, first day of school, he showed up high and, you know, basically one thing led to another and, you know, we left and, and mm-hmm. sought a different avenue. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that opens up a whole nother uh, conversation here. First of all, I was just curious if, uh, was he, so he was still on medication during that time, right? Yes, because he was living at home. So we were monitoring that. Right. So yes. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. I've, I've talked to several experts and I've read many studies now that, that actually prove that the, the concept of ADHD medications contributing to, you know, better academic results is, is false. Like they've done studies where for a year or so, I think it's a year, year one through two or three, there's some improvement, but then afterwards it tapers off. It's not, it's not actually enhancing the academic results. Like it may enhance, you know, immediate focus, but then with any medication or any, anything you take over time, the body gets used to it or, you know, um, but, but that was always surprising to me. It was like, oh, wow. Cause parents really believe that when kids take medications, their academic, the results, the grades will improve like exponentially upwards, but it's actually the opposite, which, which I find interesting. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I, you know, I, I'd never heard that I could, agree with it based on, you know, my, my child, but, um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think also at that time, there wasn't as much information out around marijuana. And so we went to the experts again, because Jack had always had trouble sleeping and, you know, so he started smoking pot to help himself sleep. We consulted with experts who said, oh, that's okay. As long as he's still doing well in school and he's still communicating with the family, you know, and so we went ahead with that guidance. Wow. And then yeah. that just, that did turn out to be, um, you know, what I believe was the wrong guidance from a doctor. Um, because honestly, I mean, it was addictive and he, it just started the use of pot just ramped up. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's, I always bring this up because I question, you know, this idea of, you know, when, when a child is knows it is dependent on an external substance to make him normal or productive, right? Like a medication, then it's like, well, then what else can I try? Right. Mm -hmm. And there's another study that was done where um, usually the mainstream narrative says that kids who are not medicated for ADHD will later uh, abuse, you know, drugs and things like that. And, but it's actually, again, the opposite. It's because they're already used to using something external to make them whole. So 
then it's like, okay, what's next? What can I do that could, could work or is better or different or new? And so there's a whole 30 year study where then the kids that were not medicated actually did better in the future with substance abuse than the kids that were medicated. So it's just interesting. That's so interesting, Roman. We were told that exactly. That yeah, if you didn't yeah. medicate him, he would self-medicate with cocaine, initially with coffee or Coca-Cola and later with cocaine. Yeah. Well, that's enough to scare the bejesus out of a parent. Like, yeah, but that is so, <laughs> take that this is medication. So, yeah, and it's so textbook because I, you wouldn't believe how many parents I've talked to that said the same thing. And we heard the same thing from our school. They're like, exactly the words used. I said, if you, if you don't medicate your son, you will later self-medicate and do cocaine and then end up in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I was it's, like, it's really okay. pretty crazy because I agree with you. It's really the opposite, at least in my experience as to what happens. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, that's, that's sad, but anyway, so, so to answer okay, so, your question on Jack, I don't yes. want to leave it there. No, no, I was going to say ended up getting into college, continue. going yeah. to college. He just decided to stop his ADD meds. College was a bumpy road. Um, but here we are, he's 24 and he is work. He was, you know, got a job at DocuSign and was living on his own, super healthy, eating well, um, you know, you know, working out, making good choices, holding down a job. And he does not, um, he doesn't take any medication at this point. Yay, Jack. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And not to say it's always great. Like we're still, there's still ups and downs. And I think he's still trying to, um, you know, like I mentioned, I think there was many years where there was just a lot of, you know, um, beating up on his self-confidence. And so I, there's still some repair work that's going on with that. Um, that'll probably be a, a process for the next few years or so. Um, but but he's doing really well and he's happy. That's to great. Offer. That's really cool. I, I love hearing that. And, and again, you know, to those of you listening here, we talk to people from all walks of lives and all different approaches to this thing called ADHD and the diagnosis and medication and so forth. And I've talked to people just like yourself who their, their son or daughter turned out after they took medication and they stopped or some don't take medication, some take medication still uh, it's finding our own way, you know, and I think you said something earlier. I'd love for you to just kind of talk to, uh, us a little bit about like, what, what might you do differently, uh, nowadays that you have more information around, uh, Jack and the diagnosis and medication and ADHD. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, <laughs> in retrospect, um, I guess I would have chosen to explore, like you were saying, like you, you know, took your son out into nature and you looked for a different school that was a, you know, a better fit for his learning style. And you looked at your own parenting and how you might be able to parent differently. Um, I, 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 if I could have a do-over I would definitely do those three things. I think that school I mentioned where he was in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade was an ideal fit for him. Um, I unfortunately couldn't find a school like that that was a high school. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that 
I, you know, that's sort of on the non-medication side. On the medication side, when I look back on things, it was really nice that all of a sudden, you know, you, with the medicine, he could focus and he could, you know, do three tasks in a row. He could go, you know, make his bed, get dressed, pack his backpack and get out the door for school. Like there was noticeable things when he was young that really made life easier for him and for us and our family as a whole. Um, but yeah, that, that right. At what cost? Right. Right. That's always the question, right? I think that's important for parents to know and hear this, right? Like, you know, I always say having a child with, with ADHD or getting a diagnosis or getting sort of disrupted in life with that new event creates a sort of check engine light scenario where suddenly, you know, we're forced to look at everything. If we choose to, to look at everything, like how is our family running? Are we, you know, doing what we love? Is the marriage good? Is the parenting the right style? Is the school, all of that when questioned, I think there's a lot we can do first to improve the environment that the child is growing up in. And then, you know, the rest, yeah, parents have to decide what to do. And I, I again, sometimes medication is a, is a good band-aid because both parents are working and you don't have time to go to principal's office every day. It's like, okay, fine. You know? So I think, yeah, it's, it's a very valid um, concern that, that maybe that's a good thing for a while. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think one of the things I love about your podcast is you're, sh- you know, you're providing information. So people have, you know, more information, more tools, more resources to, to make the choice that's right for their family. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And and that's really our purpose is like, I'm not a medical expert. I'm, I just bring experts and opinions and mostly just like thoughts and new ways of looking at things. Right. So you can question it. Cause a lot of parents, I know, you know, we're of a new generation where we don't just t- take all the BS and go like, Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. Cause it says it on the internet. All right. That's true. Or the politician said this, so that must be, you know, no, we, let's question things. If it's not working, if it's working, okay. But if it's not working, why wouldn't we question everything and Mm -hmm. not, not questioning it to automatically denounce it, but just to question and go like, is this, does this work for me? Is this, do I think this is true? Mm -hmm. And then go about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that said, I want to kind of jump forward a little bit, or I guess we are going backwards in time with Jack's age, but so in 2016, you you mentioned that you went to a a parenting uh, course, and that sort of changed, I won't say your life, but also your relationship with with Jack and just life, I would imagine. So tell me about that. Uh, yeah, wow. I mean, that it was it was really transformational, um, learning new communication skills, new parenting skills. Um, it was like I had mentioned that right the beginning of senior year, when I think it was at that point that I was like, okay, wait a minute. We we've got a, we've got a problem on our hands and it's not normal to be smoking pot every day, all day long. And what can we do here? And I just love, you know, thank God for my husband. Like we both felt like we played a part in this. So we did go looking for a program that was predominantly for Jack, but it included um, parent involvement in it. 
And so it was a two month program. It was based on if people are familiar with dialectical behavioral therapy, which basically is um, focuses on helping your child regulate their emotions, helping them with interpersonal communication skills um, and helping them with mindfulness. All great things that all parents and all children can be should should have this knowledge. Um, and it kind of like what you said before, it's a heck of a lot more important than algebra. Yeah. Um, you know, having these kind of communication skills and strategies. And so while Jack was learning on his own, my husband and I would be learning the this information from a parenting point of view and then we would come together and practice our new communication skills um with jack that was part of the program and it was i mean i guess when we were talking before i thought you know what it the change was as significant as him taking that first add med where all of a sudden you know you saw this dramatic change in his behavior with focus and attention um it was like that, like we, we, we learned this different way of communicating with one another. Um, and it just, it just, it's all the battles and the friction and the fighting just started subsiding. And we started being able to talk calmly and to address things that were concerning us. And he was able to listen and, um, so much of it, I realized in retrospect, was really what my how my husband and I were talking to him, and that that's what created such a change. And then I ended up becoming a coach because at the end of the two month program, like that was it. And I, we were left like, but wait, like we just started learning these things. We need continual support. And, you know, like these are, this is a new way of talking and new habits we're creating on how to communicate. And um, it felt like uh, we need this support system. And so that's when I went just sort of looking for our own support system and how does this work? And then I thought I would love to help other parents who have issues with their teens, ADD or no ADD, you know, they're just, you have conflicts and battles and tension going on and you don't feel calm. You feel exhausted. You feel angry all the time. You're yelling, you're irritated, you're frustrated. And you just think like, there's gotta be a better way. Um, and that's really, you know, the, the crux of what I do. I took, well, now 26 years of parenting experience along with these skills I learned and continuing education in this area and then got certified as a life coach. And now I, you know, I'm a life coach who helps parents of teenagers and preteens and young adults. It's never yeah. too late. <laughs> You mean, you mean there's no pill yet for puberty that we can give a teenager. And so they won't be less like a teenager. You know what I mean? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. But what I like to say is we can change our approach. We do have control over that. We yes. don't have control over our kids being teens and, you know, and the natural things that come along with that, but we can change our communication approach with them to have like a more calm, peaceful home with less tension, arguing and battles. That's beautiful. Yeah. And there will be 
links in our show notes for the listeners so you can get in touch with Janine and, and ask questions, reach out, see if you're interested in some coaching. I think it's very valuable. I always say, you know, before we medicate or diagnose, before we sort of like just throw in the towel and say, fine, I'm just going to do it the way the experts, in quotes, quote unquote, experts say, you know, why not try some alternative approaches such as coaching, right? Get a parenting coach or, uh, you know, change lifestyle first. And then we see the benefits of that. And then if there's still something that sticks out, that's like, okay, we got to medicate or we got to change schools or whatever, then we do that. Like it's a, it's a gradual process. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're doing is really putting the power back into the parents' hands right? Like changing the goal. It's like you can really have a huge, you know, impact on your relationship with your child. If you just communicate differently, you know, what I observe is that most parents get stuck in this cycle where we are focusing on the behavior that we don't like, right? Let's say it's their grades aren't good, or they're being disrespectful, or they're not doing their chores, or maybe it's more extreme, right? They're drinking, they're smoking, they're being promiscuous. And we focus on this behavior and we try to change that, right? So our conversations are all about like, how can I make them change their behavior versus, you know, how can I teach them? And so when we get stuck, just focusing on their behavior and having the conversation around that, what ends up happening is your team thinks like, you know, first of all, maybe they think this isn't a problem, even though you as the parent think it is, right? Or they think, you know, nothing, or they tell you, leave me alone or get out of my room or, right. They throw up some sort of wall or defense and push you away. They don't, because they don't want, to hear what you have to say about their behavior that you don't like. And then you in turn feel disrespected and you get angry and then you start yelling, you know, because you want them to listen. And all of a sudden, boom, you're in this horrible cycle, this merry-go-round where you just like can't get off. And it feels like there's just always like friction and tension in the house. And you're feeling like, I don't want to show up this way. Like, how did right. I become a yeller? <laughs> how did this happen? And I don't want to be. Um, and so realizing, hey, if I learn some different communication strategies, I can get off the merry-go-round. Yeah. And it sounds to me also like a great opportunity for parents to slow their role, you know, look at their own triggers, look at their own temperament and how they react and and work on not reacting from a place of authority or I know better or, you know, you're small, I'm big, whatever that is, right? I think it it sounds like in, in your coaching that that must come up a lot for parents that they realize, oh, shoot, I'm actually not, I'm throwing gasoline into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when somebody coaches with me, we start with like what I call my foundational five steps. And step one is exactly what you're describing. Like how before we have a conversation with our teen, we want to resist that urge to just go in there while we're all emotional and we react from a place of emotion, from fear, from worry, from anger, and instead take the time to settle our own emotions so we can respond intentionally with our wise mind 
and not from a place of fear, worry, anger, because our kids feel that energy. You can just open the door and walk in their room and they feel that energy from you and they just want no part of it. Yeah. You know, just like if, if you pick them up from school or they, you know, and they get in the car or they walk in the door, like you can feel their energy, you know, as a parent, like, Ooh, they don't seem happy or, Oh, they feel really sad. Like you can sense that. And that goes both ways. Totally. Kids feel that from you. And so, yeah, the first thing we work on are coping skills on how to settle your own worries, fears, anger, frustration, before you engage in a conversation with them. Yeah, that's great. And I'm sure um, that you've seen a lot of uh, what I refer to as like a transgenerational hand-me-down parenting skills, right? From the parents' parents and so forth. How do you, how does that come up and how do you deal with it? What do you coach around it when you see that it's sort of the, the old guard of parenting, right? The fear-based, uh, punishing, uh, blackmail, whatever you want to call it, but does that yeah. come up and how does that, yeah, what do you? Oh my gosh, I mean, that, that comes up all the time because that's really most of our reality, right? Most of us grew up in a household where, you know, your parents said, because I said so, right? They didn't feel the need to explain why. So you're left confused. Like, why do I have to do that? I don't understand. And it's very hard to change your own behavior if you don't understand why, and the whole, like you were mentioning, the whole parenting paradigm of rewards and punishments that, you know, really blocks you from having the kind of relationship you want with your team. There's new research out that shows that rewards and punishments are a way of trying to control your child, either with something positive or with something negative. And what that misses is the child understanding the why behind it? Like, why is that important, right? So if it's some sort of reward, they might just do what you're asking them to do because they just want the reward, but that doesn't change behavior, right? right. That's just an right. external motivation. And the same is true with a punishment, right? They just want their iPhone back or they don't wanna get grounded again, or be off, yeah, but yeah. off grounding. And so they'll do whatever you say they need to do to stop the punishment. Yeah. But what I would imagine is if you look at the dynamics in your house, the, the behavior that you punish for is probably just happening again, because we're trying to control it um, with an external reward or punishment versus internally motivating them to do the right thing. And, and that starts with explaining why something's important to you. And what I, you know, really try to encourage parents to do is attach that why to their value, right? It's important to me that yeah. you come, you know, that you come home at curfew because it's my job to keep you safe, right? So it's the value of safety. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I recently came to the insight finally, even though it's taken me 53 years, so I can now use it for the next 30, which is this idea that, you know, we can only set boundaries and state our needs when we know our values and we honor our values, right? But we have to define them. Like you said, you can't just say, 
oh, I don't, I don't like these kind of people. Well, what are you talking about? Well, they're kind of fake. Okay, so you value honesty or authenticity, whatever that is, right? And then you set that value and then you can enforce it. I hate to use the word force, but you put up a boundary when somebody is lying or you think they're not being authentic, right? And now your need is, you can state your need as like, hey, if we're going to be friends, I need you to be honest with me, right? But that, that, that's not something we teach at school. No, I mean, no, that's something we work on in coaching, but there's yeah. nowhere that you learn that. Nowhere. No, and and we it's tell really kids, critical. right? We just tell kids don't lie. But that's not, like you said, that's not based on any value. Sure, it's a moral, oh, well, hopefully you're kind of religious and you believe in God and don't lie and be a good person. Okay, I get it. But let's go deeper. And I want to just bring up what you said was really great. It's, it sounded like when you were explaining um, your coaching, right. Or this, this idea of, of not making it reward based, but really explain why and go inside and find out, right. The motivation. And, um, it's a really great, big life lesson, because I feel like if you look at the world, right, we go out there, kids learn that eventually you're going to like get a job and you're going to do a task and you're going to get a reward called money. And so you do it. And if you don't have any intrinsic value or life purpose. And at an early age, you don't, cause you just go bag groceries for a while and get some life experience. But eventually there has to be more than just, Oh, well, I'm just going to do this work and get money because then money's the reward. And just doing the work is the same thing as you said, where you just, the kids like, all right, fine, I'll do this. And I get my phone back. Right. But yeah. then the other side, it sounds like what you're coaching, which I think is brilliant is, is, is going deeper and really seeing like, like explaining to a child why it's important. Even if like my 11 year old says it's BS, I can say, yeah, it's, it, it is BS. It's antiquated, but here's why it used to be important. And here's why you still need it to get this grade. If you want to go to this school so they know, and then they can kind of like have their own internal GPS, tell them, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't like math. I want to do this. I like, you know, anyway, I'm rambling, but I just got this really, uh, great sort of life lesson nugget in what you were sharing and was going to ask you, are there other little appetizer tidbits of, of coaching or your five-step process that you can share with our listeners uh, around your coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say another one is, you know, humans in general want to feel understood, right? They want to feel like nothing is wrong with them and that you get them. And our teenagers are the same way. And so when we can incorporate um, in our communication that you're hearing them, that you understand them, that nothing is wrong with them, um, when we can incorporate that message into our, our communication, they're more likely to listen to you and share with you and motivated to change their behavior because you've, you've allowed them to feel like, um, you get them and nothing is wrong. So it's, it's a form of, I teach a form of validation, but it's validating how they're feeling. Um, because when we do that, this, you know, what comes up is like, oh, you know, mom gets me. And so this isn't condoning the behavior. We're really connecting with them regarding how they're feeling. It's their, it's what they were feeling and what they were thinking that caused the behavior, right? Yeah. So let's say they do poorly on a test 
it might, you know, they might be thinking like, I just have too much on my plate. I'm going to school for eight hours and then to my sport and then to my community service. And I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling pressured. And so I just, I, so I didn't study, right? Well, that's very different than a parent looking at, you know, that they got a bad grade and thinking, well, you've been on your phone all the time. You can't get off YouTube. You know, you're watching TikTok videos and we, you know, make this assumption about their behavior that often um, isn't true, right? So we, we want to kind of figure out what's going on. What were they thinking and feeling before they made the choice that feels not great to us? Um, and that I would just say that's like some really like golden nuggets on how to have a better relationship with your child and how to connect with them more. So they eventually, the next step after that is um, helping, teaching them and motivating them to make better choices. Yeah, that's great. And I can totally relate to uh, to what you just said, because as we were, um, you know, essentially, I can boil it down to, we were re reducing, after doing a lot of research, we were reducing as many stressors from our, our children, both, even though one was diagnosed, but the older one, but we were reducing the stress, as many stressors as we could from the environment, right? And that included any stressor. And you're talking about, you know, when a child is already dealing with growing up and being a child and all those challenges. And then we add our judgment, we add our stress, our pressure, uh, you know, our authoritarian way of being or whatever. On top of that, that's the gasoline in the fire. So we try to really pull out any of the fumes and gasoline out of it and just add water and just be like, look, let's calm down. Let's, you know, the other day, I remember how I, how I saw my improvement was that one of our, uh, I think it was the younger one. No, actually it was, was Kai. It was the older one dropped a, um, a pretty vase that was on the kitchen counter and it shattered. Right. And I remember I heard it. I walk over and instantly I was like walking towards the kitchen. He hadn't seen me yet in my mind if it was even the mind, it was just a, something in me said, take a deep breath. It's mm -hmm. just a vase. Mm -hmm. Do not show up with any like face that would communicate some sort of, sort of make wrong or uh, how shame, dare you punish shame. Exactly. None of that. And I just walked up to him. I said, what happened, buddy? And he's like, oh, this and didn't pay attention and fell down. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's unfortunate. But you know what? Hey, let's clean it up. You know, let's make sure nobody steps on it. Can you help me? And we did it. And I never said anything like, don't do this again. Or da, da, da. you know, I just said, you may want to tell your mom that, uh, you know, this broke and it's unfortunate. And, and I made sure that I texted her and said, when he, when he shares it with you, could you just react the same way I did? And she's like, of course. And it yeah, was I mean, it. That's, that's so good, right? You didn't like make him feel ashamed for his actions. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is like you approached him and then you said, let's clean this up together. And that's another tool that I teach that to change your mind, um, shift your mind into the mind frame of it's you and me against the problem right? You're not yeah. the problem. Kai is not the problem because the vase, you know, that he broke a vase, right? It's, it's Kai and you, his dad working together to clean it up. Yeah. And how yeah. do we solve for this together? And that's just powerful. 
when you want to be connecting with your teen and having open communication and smooth communication. Yeah. And thanks for saying that. And I can attribute that as well to a parenting uh, certification that I took while back, a conscious parenting course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, before that, I knew of the concept of don't be too reactive or don't be the, but still it was like, okay, I'll try. But once I did took the course, right. It was like, okay, I get it. It's not that hard. It's, it's simple, but I had to, and I'm sure you see this all the time. Like parents have to face their own, I call it the, you know, shit. You have to look at, <laughs> Thank you. you have to look at your you own shit. You, you, got know, you, you can't ignore it and say, well, the child is rambunctious. It's like, okay. But for you to react without that reactiveness, right? right? Yeah. There's some work that has to be done. Well, and you mentioned that too, like you, you know, you talk to yourself before you rounded the corner, you know, and you, you, the message that you said to yourself and the thoughts that came up in your mind allowed you to approach Kai calmly, you know, kind of back to the first step we were talking about. And you're just like, tee yourself up for success when you can tap into that. Yeah. And that's, that, that's uh, the whole, you know, our concept of, of co-regulation, right? If, if we can be calm and now they're stressed because they're like, Oh my God, I'm in trouble. And we walk in calm. Then the energies, they, they level out and connect. Yeah. They match. They match your energy. And now no, no one's nervous system gets stuck in some weird defense mode and fight flight, you know, and we don't repeat the patterns. So I think that's a breakthrough. So I just want to say that's so great that you, you do this. And I, and I think for the, for our listeners to know, yes, you uh, coach parents, uh, not every child has ADHD, but uh, for those of you listening with children that have recently been diagnosed or that have ADHD, I think having uh, a coach that can really work with you uh, in, 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 on the communication here can make a huge difference. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. About half my clients have kids with ADD, I think, because they know my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is some nuance and, and sometimes you, a different approach that you need with, you know, child children who have ADHD. One other thing though, I want to mention, cause I caught it when, um, when you're asking like any other nuggets, I would say another nugget I would say is to try to really tap into compassionate curiosity. Mm. And I say offer like, okay, do that through a what question. And that's exactly what you said to Kai. You're like, what happened? Mm. I like right? that. It's like your, your, your question was very simple. There was no tone or judgment in it. You know, you were curious and you were compassionate. And that is just so powerful when you can do that um, and approach a conversation from a place of curiosity and compassion. Mm-hmm. You're going to see your relationship change and you're going to get a better result from the conversation, 100%. I love that. Yep. Compassionate curiosity. And it reminds me of, uh, I should have taken a photo, but I, I was dropping Kai off at the school today. And there's a, there's a giant, um, it's not a blackboard, but it's a green board outside in the parking lot that they use to put up uh, quotes, uh, famous quotes or, you know, inspiring quotes. And I'm paraphrasing and I'm butchering it, but it basically said that for children to um, grow up 
you know, creative and curious, becoming creative and curious adults, they need at least one adult that is still, uh, you know, engaged in life through wonder and curiosity, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was just like, whoa, yes. And then it made me think like, am I someone who still shows up for my kids with wonder, curiosity, adventure? And I was like, I could do better. You know, like I, I've become an adult, you know, that's just like, well, we got to pay the bills and we got to do this and you got to do that. And so it really made me think, and just you mentioning that again, the compassionate curiosity, I was like, well, those are two things, right? You can be compassionate, but that the curiosity uh, about life uh, is a childish kind of quality that I think we should all preserve. And that, that brings that, that life to, to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And yeah, I think, you know, wonder and curiosity are two magical things that can really help with your relationship. Now they're not easy when you're parenting (laughs) teens to tap into compassion or curiosity, right? Like they lie to you and you feel disrespected and you're angry and it's hard to be like, oh, I'm going to ask him them a curious question and (laughs) tap into compassion and wonder. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do, but when you do like, instead of, you know, blowing a gasket that they lied to you, if instead you approach it thinking like, hmm, I wonder what motivated them to lie to me. And I, and I want to understand that versus punishing the lie because you feel disrespected and angry. Yeah. So it's, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not, I still have a challenge with this, but if you want a different outcome, if you want to change the dynamics of what's going on, you got to try something different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so this is one thing that really can apply in so many areas of life is just having a sense of wonder and curiosity, like, hmm, I wonder why he did poorly on that test. I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself, I really don't know. Right. Cause yeah, our brains yeah. love to say, oh, I know exactly why that happened. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I see these, like, if you take a lie, for example, it's almost like a scratch on your car, right? If your son shows up and, oh shoot, just got my driver's license, scratched my dad's car, right? We can, like you said, we can be like, bad child, don't do that. That's wrong. Can't believe it. Now we're going to, you know, ground you and you got to pay for it, whatever. Versus, huh, scratch on the car. I wonder what, what, what had you not be present or what, what happened? You know, some, anything you can observe and learn from, you know, we'll fix the scratch. It's unfortunate, but, you know, but staying calm. Yes. And also gratitude that there wasn't a car accident and someone's in the hospital, right? Yeah. Um, And I would add to that, you know, I'm not saying like there can't be some sort of accountability piece to it. Of course. Right. I mean, you could say like, okay, you know, we all make mistakes. We all, you know, life is messy. Cars get scratched. You know, what would you like to do about it? Yeah. Right. So it's not like we have to, you know, what some parents are they're saying, oh my God, this positive parenting stuff, you know, this conscious parenting stuff. You're just, you, you know, they're you're so permissive. And I am not suggesting that. I, you know, I'm all about accountability and having them take action to solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. Um, what so do you I'm, think? I'm not saying that, but it's like you can be compassionate and curious and 
you at the same time, you can help them figure out how they're going to solve their, you know, whatever behavior that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you what you thought of sort of this, this role reversal of say, child comes home with a scratch in the car, right? And to say, talking about accountability to say maybe in the end. So put yourself in my shoes. If you were the parent and this was your car and somebody comes back, scratched it, what, what would you think or expect? Or what, what's, what do you think you would do, you know, to see if, is that ever like, could, could that be helpful or is that not a. Oh, completely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of it like, when they're little, they're, they're super curious, right? And we get to give all of our advice and wisdom and they love it. Yeah. And we have to flip that around when they become teenagers, right? We have to be the curious one because they want to come up with their own wisdom. They want to solve their own problems, right? So we can just, as long as we just stay kind of, you know, in this non-judgmental neutral place, we can ask questions and help guide them to solve their own problems. So I, I love what you said, right? We want to get their brain thinking, okay, how, yeah, how can I make a better choice? How can I solve this problem? They want that. And we want them to develop, to develop that skill, they're going to need those problem-solving skills when they leave your house, whether yeah. it's for a job or for college or whatever it may be. And so they want it. And as a parent, you want them to have that. And that also is what builds their confidence and your confidence in them as you see them solving for things and articulating, oh, this is what I would do, right? You're left as a parent going, oh, Oh, I, I actually feel much better. I feel like I can trust them. That was like really good thinking. Yeah. <laughs> A really good way to solve that problem. And so it's actually, we think, oh, I think our brains un- like unconsciously think, oh, if I tell them what to do, what they should do, what they need to do, the right way to do it, and they just do it, I they'll feel confident, I'll feel better. But it's actually the reverse. That's interesting. Opposite thing that happens. Well, again, I just, you know, think what you're doing is, is so great, right? We have this, um, call it, uh, army of people out there that I call our, our like-minded army, right? Where we go out and we don't just look at the child as the problem, you know, because I hear this all day long in, in mainstream messages around ADHD, child's a problem. They're not behaving. Their brain's broken. They got to do better. They should be on medication because if not, they're going to become delinquents or they're not going to be productive members of society. Right. And I just think what, what you're doing, although currently maybe still somewhat alternative, I do see a future where this is as important as algebra. This is, Mm -hmm. you don't wait till later, right? We do things early on so that we don't have to intercept them in their twenties. And have them go to 12 step programs and counseling and therapy and, you know, all this crazy intervention stuff. It'll be some of that, but I think you're part of the new solution. I believe that we can, we can catch these things earlier on, right? You've had your own experience around ADHD and medication and parenting. And I just, I just love what you do. And I, I really hope that our listeners got value from this and that, uh, 
you know, we'll have the information in the show notes so they can reach out to you. They can connect with you, ask questions, get some coaching. And I'm excited to hear more about that in the future. So, yay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. If you want, we can offer your listeners a freebie. I've got a class that they can, you know, take and listen to. It's called, um, I have two, got two, no more battles with your teen is one of them. And another one is how to talk. So your teen listens. So Nice. You know, if you want to offer that, I, I'm happy to provide that as well. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. And we'll put that li- those links in the show notes as well. Uh, so okay. there is your freebie with Janine. I mean, that's like, wow, it's, it's only Wednesday and you're getting a gift already, you lucky <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, that's amazing, Janine. I really appreciate you being on and, and thank you for your time and congratulations on Jack uh, turning out, as I call it. You know, you had your worries and your stresses and your experiences, but he seems to be doing just fine, probably yeah. better than just fine. And uh, he's got his own journey and you're great great parents and you've really committed to uh, uh, you know guiding him and being there for him and I, I think that's just very commendable and inspiring. Oh well thank you and thank you for having me on and I just love what you're doing so parents feel like they're not alone um, and that yes this parenting thing is hard you know it feels hard because it is hard but just to know you're not alone And I love all the resources you provide. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. My pleasure. Thank you. 